Get ready to innovate and organize your workspace with Metro. As the industry leader in storage and distribution systems, Metro is here to transform and organize your kitchen. With their premium solutions, you'll experience the Metro difference. Metro's sturdy and versatile shelving units, workstations, holding cabinets, and utility carts are designed to streamline operations and maximize your productivity. Don't settle for imitators. Metro products last longer and offer unparalleled quality and durability. Plus, the many customization options ensure that your space is tailored to your unique needs. Hey, we use them here at Walk & Talk. Say goodbye to chaos and hello to order with Metro Shelving. Visit their website or contact them today to start designing your perfect space. Metro Shelving, your partner in organization and efficiency. Hello, food fam. This is the Walk and Talk podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Fiadini. We're podcasting on site at Ibis Images Studios. Attention chefs and GMs and bar managers. Are you looking for a fantastic food photographer to capture your delicious dishes, cool cocktails, and your property's amazing architecture? Well, get with John Hernandez. He is awesome. Check him out at ibisimages.com. Well, it's election season at the ACF. And today we are going to interview the current sitting ACF president, uh, national president, that is, uh, Chef Kimberly Brock Brown. Let's dig in. But first, attention chefs and food buyers. Are you looking to improve your proteins program with quality and service by the best in the beef business? Reach out to Peninsula Food Service with 25 butchers on staff. Their services will dazzle you and impress your dining guests. Peninsula is the largest Creekstone farm distributor in the southeast United States. Let the gang at Peninsula Food Service cut your beef burdens away and ask about their dry-aged program. Look them up at PeninsulaFood.com. All right. Uh, Chef Jeffrey Schlissel, how the hell are you? I'm fantastic, man. All right. Um, What have you been cooking? Ironically, with the person on the phone, I've been cooking pastries and baking a lot. That's okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, well, tell me about it. Well, I figured I might as well look at some of the desserts that barbecue has and how I can twist my mindset on what desserts look like and can be. So I took a classic of carrot cake and I actually smoked the carrots in a cold smoke. And then I took some golden raisins and dunked them and drowned them in bourbon. Mm. Then I smoked those and then I made the carrot cake. And then for this, the icing... I used a snickerdoodle cream cheese ice cream. Oh, stop it. So wait, wait, the actual icing on the cake <laughs> is this, literally, oh, wow, this is, you're, wow, man. <laughs> and then I use, instead of using like a caramel or wait something, a is yeah. that what's, is that what's in that? Uh... No, that's the other thing I cooked that oh, I brought today. Okay. 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 Cause I see something that's in tinfoil there. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's, what is that? that's another yummy. So let me finish on the carrot cake. Instead of using the normal stuff, you would have the icing in the middle. I actually made candied pecans. And then crunched those up and then folded them into dulce de leche. Stop. So I had to show some Miami feel, feel to it. Yeah, sure. But what's in that tinfoil over yonder is a bourbon chocolate pecan pie. You son of a... Wow. Yeah. How come we haven't broken that out yet? <laughs> because we, we had banana bread earlier. But what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Nothing. We can we can have maybe John run over him. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for John today. Um, we can ask right, Smokey. Listen, all right, listen. Um, but Smokey has no thumbs. 
<laughs> it's funny. True story. All right. So listen, um, first of all, both of those sound delicious. Obviously, um, you scrimped out on the uh, the first uh, option there. You brought this one, so I'm excited to give it a try. Let's get let's get Chef Kimberly uh, on the show. Welcome, Chef Kimberly. You are on the line. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you all doing today? A bourbon's flowing, so we're, we're doing much better now. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that intro just gave me five pounds I didn't need to have. Oh, my God. But it was, it was Pi Day a couple of days ago, so pies are good. Yeah, well, well, that's what it's all about. And you know what? It's a happy five mm-hmm. pounds. It's not like an unhappy five pounds, right? <laughs> all right, so, no, I Chef, don't need any more poundage. Chef Kimberly, um, so uh, obviously you're the current sitting uh, ACF national president, and, you know, we have a lot of, uh, we have a whole just wide spectrum of listeners to the show. Uh, everybody from within the industry, foodies, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. Why don't you go ahead and give a, a brief description of, um, you know, kind of who you are, your, your history and, and how you wound up, you know, in, in, in being the, uh, the president. Go ahead. Yeah. Give it about two minutes. Okay. Great. So Kimberly Brock Brown, I am. Born and raised in Chicago. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And, and it's funny, I was having this conversation that I lived in, I have lived in the South Carolina in Charleston area now longer than I lived growing up in Chicago. But even, even though that is a fact, I'm still considered a foreigner in South Carolina. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you're, either you're from here with that accent or you're not. <laughs> from, from here, come here, come, whatever. So anyway, I have, I've lived in the South because I don't want to be cold with the snow no more. Um, I've gotten older, you know, snow before a little word, so I, I can't do that. Um, I, I, all my siblings are now South. My mother is in the South now. Um, so they're all in Texas, as a matter of fact. So I, my culinary journey began as an apprentice in Dallas and I, I have moved around between Hilton Head, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Asheville, North Carolina, to finally calling Charleston my home for the last 22 years, 24 years. Um, bacon and pastry has been my thing for a long time. I, I think I realized, in fact, I know I realized in my apprenticeship program that as much as I love making soups and sauces when I was in the saucier area, that I didn't see an executive chef coming out of the saucier. Executive chefs, in my history, my knowledge came out of banquet kitchens or restaurants. And so um, when I had the opportunity and learned that the pastry chef that I was going to be working with was the one who was grooming and training future pastry chefs for the hotel. I said, hey, let me get this pastry thing, this pastry shop thing and figure this all out. And he was he was training and teaching people. So I just stuck right there and the rest is history. Well that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, so let me ask you this then. Um mm-hmm. with Jeffrey's uh Chef Jeffrey's um you know uh, description, <laughs> how did that sit with you? <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean, I know we're all going to gain, you know. I, I, I am not, I am not mad at him. I mean, I love a good carrot cake. I know a lot of people that I saw that he doesn't like carrot cake, That's but fun. I ain't mad at him for playing around with it. It's, it. You know, it's good that somebody's not mad at him because I got to tell you, I'm usually. I'm not mad at him. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really good. <laughs> all right, chef, we're going to jump into some questions. Um, let's go ahead and, uh, and start with uh, number one, which is, um, all right. So for aspiring chefs and chefs that are closer to retirement, um, what does the ACF offer uh, offer them? So from my experience, as um, I started with ACF when I was 19 years old as the apprentice. And so for me, it offered an opportunity to get education in the, in the field that I was very interested in. 
that you know I, I had learned about being a chef or learned what a chef was. Even though we used to go out to eat all the time, there's great you know great food in Chicago, but I never associated that with a career path. You know, and, and as I was searching in my high school um, years for it, um, I just it was never articulated to me what a chef was because it just wasn't in the vernacular at that, that point in time all those years ago. And so being a chef um, to me uh, in ACF is offering the younger people and all of our students are not necessarily all that young. Some of them are seasoned at this point in time, second career choices, following what their passion, what their art is. It's an opportunity to learn the craft, learn it well, um, the insides and outsides of this business. It is a business and it's an industry that that's, you know, related very closely to healthcare. Um, as people are more and more older and wiser and want that fountain of youth, and they know that it's related to food. And so it, it's a teachable, doable industry that's that's essential, um, that's worldwide. And so I, I think it offers a lot to those who want a career, um, but you definitely got to have a passion for it because it could be brutal, or it could be unforgiving. And for those who are more seasoned, close to retirement, I think just like somebody had to teach the younger ones, I think it's a great opportunity to impart that knowledge and experience that you've gained over the years to other people to keep the culinary um, journey going for other people, to pass on those those secrets, those tips that you've learned to keep smooth out some of those rough places that other kids and students don't have to hit those divots and pivots like you had to do. Excellent. And when you find uh, any information about the Fountain of Youth, you, you contact me. <laughs> Both I, I, of us, I, I please. Thought it was, I thought it was in Florida. I, I don't know. I thought <laughs> that's that's, that's what you hear, but you know what? I, I hear. It, it doesn't seem that way. All right. Um, okay. What role could the ACF play in partnering with charities that offer assistance to mental health and substance abuse concerns in the food industry? You know that you know, um, there, we have a lot of challenges when it comes to uh, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, just burnout and, and, the, and the whole in that whole genre there. Um, how, how do how do you see that? Experience the perfect blend of culinary delights, entertainment and education on the number one food podcast in the country. Walk and talk podcast. Join host Carl Fiadini and the amazing chef Jeffrey Schlissel. Feed your appetite. Find this podcast on Apple and Spotify. Well, I, I agree that there, our industry is plagued with that, but also coming to the forefront has been a lot more um, because of that need, I think. The need has been is being brought to the fore. More and more people are aware um, that there is help available. That and most of it's free, you know. And and most people, I think, have gotten away from the stigma that might be attached with asking for help. Um, we've partnered and have have it on our webpage and you know, information about um, Ben's friends who we we've, we've had and done, they've done webinars. They've been in our conferences and conventions before. Chow. I mean, we have a whole wellness page dedicated to it. Um, the Dow Dowling 988 for you know, suicide prevention and other things. I mean, it, it's it's a sadly it's a whole conglomerate of people and entities, nonprofits, organizations that are there to help. But glad that they are there to help. And so I, I think that as more and more people as they become aware of it, um, you know, it, it's that work life balance and mental health days. It, it's amazing. You know, I, I can remember having to lock up vanilla extract back in the day because we had a PM Baker who would. Who, who discovered vanilla and coke way before it was discovered to be vanilla and coke. And, and so, you know, it, it, the problem is real. 
it, it's there and, and there is more help available. So I'm glad we have advertised that we've partnered with different organizations and continue to do so. Well, it's a special, um, that topic is special to me. So anything that, you know, the walk and talk, uh, walk and talk media can do, uh, to help promote that, um, let us know because we'd love to be involved, uh, you know, on a, on a deeper level. I appreciate that. Of course. Um, all right. Are there steps, uh, are there steps taken by the ACF to increase engagement with different cultures in the culinary world? Are they effective? Uh, what is the best way for the ACF to position itself in that, on that front? Well, you know, one of our new partners, Turkish Taste, um, I was at the, um, the consulate's home in Los Angeles a few months back. Um, they were welcoming ACF and, and some of our other um, members were there as well. And to expand that relationship with them and the products that they bring over. I mean, if you remember, Nathan, Turkish, Turkish Taste had a whole role, basically, of some of the items that they are bringing and doing and, and are comfortable with. Um, even on our webinars, which, of course, are worldwide, we have people who are tuning in from places across the globe, Vietnam, Ireland. We, we are a global entity. Um, we have members everywhere, you know, even our own chapters between the Philippines, you know, uh, Dominican Republic. We, we are a global entity. And so our webinars are helping to bridge the gap of, of when we're not there in person or when those people who are in those places can't come to where our national convention are or our local chapter meetings. So it's a small world as far as we can reach out and touch people through our webinars and online presence. Um, it just makes it a little bit smaller that way. So we, we are there. Um, we can always do better and we can always do more. So, uh, you know, I'm open. I think ACF is open too as far as what else we could do to reach that. And we've had memberships that we've had to turn down from other countries because we just can't. We don't see the benefit of taking their money and, and offering them money in return. They, they can't get what we have. Um, one thing, there'd be a language barrier. I mean, we do good. It's at least an expense to translate now from English to Spanish. And we have started that, but it's an expense. So how do you translate into Arabic or Japanese or Chinese? And to what benefit would that be for both parties? So well, it, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, and, and that, that's, um, it's important because, you know, a lot of those folks, you know, they end up here, um, living here. And yeah. in many cases, uh, the jobs that they're going to uh, find are, you know, in hospitality. In culinary. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. All right. And, I mean, you know, we are everywhere and, and the, you know, everything can't be for everybody. But how you can bridge that gap, I think it depends on, you know, that person and the person that they're working with and for um, to help with that. Over the past two decades, we've seen a remarkable rise in the number of female chefs in the food industry. What's the best way for the ACF to foster an inclusive atmosphere in the food industry as a whole? And I know this for my being a distributor for the last uh, in distribution for the last uh, 25 years. I mean, I've seen I've seen that spectrum just shoot up. I mean, it it, it used to be so taboo, and it just simply isn't now. Um, what are your feelings there? Well, I've I've seen numbers, um, and on average, I think twenty five percent of of the workforce for executive chefs are women. And I also know that from my own experience, being an adjunct um, four different times over the last fifteen years that the majority of my classes have been women. So if I had 25 students in my class, I'd say 18 were women. But it, it, we lose the women somewhere in between graduation and getting to that management spot. And so to me, 
it tells me that there's a work-life balance issue because like it or not, women are still the caretakers or still have you know uh, the primary responsibility of taking care of the children. And so if you, if you can't accommodate um, a female in the industry for what that life situation is for her, that's a problem. But also, um, there's still a lot of sexism going around. I, I hear stories all the time, and you know, we could sit there, we could trade off stories about this happened, he said shit, she, she, she said that, whatever, and it, and it just goes back and forth. There's still a lot of good old boy stuff happening. Uh, and, and but women have have found the voice. Um, otherwise, those numbers wouldn't be rising, and and are, are fighting back to taking it. And and you know, the opportunity to take it is also has also increased as more and more people are realizing it. You know that women are here, and we can do more than just, you know, bacon and pastry and gum and Yeah. I mean, you know, as of right now, um, I feel like, uh, the opportunities are there and, you know, you're dealing with, a, obviously you're, you're correct. I think you're correct in saying that, uh, you know, there are still traditional roles being played out and, you know, you know, it doesn't matter, uh, where one sits on, on that idea, but the realities are such. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, there probably needs to be, uh, you know, some more coming to the middle on, on, on that topic, but, um, definitely have come a long way in, in my estimation. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not perfect. It's still way to go. I was, I was at a, a conference, uh, women in culinary and, and 30 badass women who are running stadiums, arenas, um, school universities, you know, uh, all walks of life and executive chef level. And, you know, they hear their stories and, and their trials, you know, and like, you know, people will walk in, distributors will walk in, people walk in, where's the chef? Is, the, is he here yet? And they're talking to the chef, you know, because they're not recognizing that the chef is this woman sitting right there in front of them. You know, and so get that. I mean, we can all trade those stories for the most part. Hey, look, you know, I, so I, it, this, I, I don't want any trouble here. Okay. I, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want any trouble. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, it was you. It was you. Right. But yeah, so you know, the perception about who a chef is needs to change. You know, it's still the perception that a chef can't be the woman. It's got to be the guy. With so many culinary programs either closed or in the process of closing, how many? How can educators help to encourage student participation and involvement within the ACF? Attention chefs and food buyers. Are you looking to improve your proteins program with quality and service by the best in the beef business? Reach out to Peninsula Food Service. With 25 butchers on staff, their services will dazzle you and impress your dining guests. Peninsula is the largest Creekstone farm distributor in the Southeast United States. Let the gang at Peninsula Food Service cut your beef burdens away and ask about their dry-aged program. Look them up at PeninsulaFood.com. So, you know, a lot of that has to go, I would think, on the local chapter. If there is a local chapter, then that local chapter really needs to be engaged with that school. Um, I have visited a few schools over the past um, year, and they're ACF accredited schools. They have the ACF logo on their jackets, but the students did not know what that meant to them. You know, and, and as somebody who, you know, as I've always said, I had, I thought and felt like I had three strikes against me being a person of color, being female, and then deciding to go pastry. Um, that, you know, whatever advantage I could get, I was going to take it to help further my career. And so 
just to have them open up and know that there's online learning that they can do, that there's a whole network of other chefs that they can engage with and learn of. Um, I always subscribe to the notion it's not, it, it's who you know gets you in the door, not what you know. What you know will keep you there. And so if you can network with other chefs and, and they know who you are and what you do, if you are if you are in competition, and we just left our, our first ever qualifier in Kansas City over the weekend, and, and I told those students there that, you know, you competing out of all the other schools that have the opportunity to compete, and you, you came and you did it, you showed out, and these judges, seasoned chefs, know that. You know, I've seen many people who have competed, who've gotten that great job, that great interview, got a foot in the door, were highly recommended because we know as competitors that you know it's a different mindset. It, it sets you on a different level of how you cook and how you put food on the plate when you compete. And so um, I think the competition part, but a lot of that, I just really do believe that you have to, those local chapters have to engage with those schools and the communities and, and get to those teachers who may be apathetic. Um, or who may not even know themselves while well, ACF does, that it's the person in the corner office, not necessarily the chef director who's running the program or who signed up because it's mandated that they become accredited. So it's an it's a education, I think, of the whole thing. So then, so then what is actually, is there a, a best course of action or plan of action for promoting education within the ACF? You know, because what you just outlined there kind of, you know, it bled into uh, the next, this next, that next question um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you actually, you know, put it into works? So we can advertise and then we do, I mean, our webinars and, and what we have for our online learning is key. I mean, even if you're certified, you still have to take education and get continuing education hours. Um, so the education process doesn't stop because you graduated out of school. Um, and if you're a certified chef, you definitely have to do something, keep something going, keep that certification, even if it's just those three mandated courses. So I think putting the word out about, and a lot of things, you know, because COVID, um, going online is the way to go um, because you can't be everywhere to everybody. Even for like the summits that we have, um, the six that we have planned coming up and starting in this July, um, the two that we did last year when we kicked it all off. I mean, there's education components. I mean, I know before when, when there was no ACF in my area, when I lived in Hilton Head at the time, um, I depended upon uh, Albert Rooster. They used to have those $1,000 classes you know, that you, oh, please, can I go beg your FB director to, to send you, you know, to take, you know, a five-day marzipan class or whatever the specialty class was. And, and that was all you had to, that was all you offered. That was all that you could find to offer um, education, continuing education, you know, as a pastry person. Um, so to be able to go online, I think, nowadays and get a class, or, you know, Google University, YouTube University, even that. I mean, our stuff is online. And I think that's a great way to bridge that gap or to add to your repertoire what you need to know. Chef, on, on the on the topic of the um, courses you're doing online, are these profitable? Are we charging for these, you know, for the online courses? Uh, they, they are very profitable. Um we don't we don't charge for the webinars, but the webinars add to the library of things that, that we are doing. So when we when we get to uh, making money and profits off of it, yeah, we are we are definitely. It, it also provides a great opportunity for uh, content to, to reach out to other people, and then we also can capture their contact information because you have to sign on and sign in, and it puts it puts our our ACF programs at top of mind for our subject matter experts. So we have other people in other entities, other um, areas reaching out to us to become part of our online platforms. Plus, there also are resources 
on our YouTube and on our learning channel that that uh, that uh, sponsors or potential sponsors are looking at because they know that they can reach certain people and they can get the analytics for that. And so it has been very profitable, both sides of it. Definitely. It's a moneymaker. Should the national board receive benefits without bringing in paid sponsorships? Okay, so when you mean when you say benefits, you mean what exactly? Getting payment for flights, national convention. No. I mean, it should not cost out of my household to be doing business for ACF, but it should not also be something that a board member takes advantage of and 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 cost. You know, there's no the ROI's got to be there. You know, so if you're just out running around doing stuff, then then no. But I, I believe that a great asset would be for the board, board members to bring members, bring sponsors, um, start that networking, start that 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 connection with other other entities that we can help and bring more um, influence into ACF. So I believe that, yeah, to a point, things should be paid for because um, when you have to be somewhere, you mandate it. It shouldn't necessarily have to come out of my household budget that I have to be there or. Or, but on the other hand, for somebody just to be sitting there and not contributing anything to the bottom line of ACF, that's not right either. This is a two-part question. Um, mm-hmm. What inspired you originally to to run for national president, and what is the uh, what is your inspiration for running again? Uh, well, my, to run for president. So, as as I was sitting as Southeast Vice President. And, and I know all the talks that I've given when I've mentioned other people um, that if you see an opportunity, you should take the opportunity and then you figure it out later, right? If you can't figure it out at all. And and so I, I can't, you know, to that own self be true. I sit there and I tell other ladies, um, you know, opportunity knocks, open the door and take it. And so the opportunity was there because at the time you had to come off the national board to be able to run for national president. And I'm sitting on the national board with the opportunity. I mean, I didn't even know. It wasn't like it, this was on my vision board to be national president. Um, it was just an opportunity that I was there looking at. And, and it's people were asking me, so you're going to run for president? Like, I, I just I just got Southeast vice president. I don't, what? Because they knew what the rules were. And I was happy enough being Southeast regional vice president, but still no ambitions of being president. But I kept getting asked. And then I, I realized the opportunity was sitting there. And I realized I had the qualifications. So like, like I said, to that own self be true. All I can do is try. Uh, representation matters. You know, that's why I ran for vice president. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired of not having issues that affected me in my career and other people that I know um, not being heard, not being represented. You know, so I, I ran. Um, what else? How, how else was that part of the question? Well, you know, basically that was your, your uh, I, you answered both. With with that, you did answer both. The question one was what got you uh, into it to to begin with? And then, you know, why are you going to uh, continue? And you, you, uh, yeah, yeah, you answered both of those. Um, Great. What are the advantages and disadvantages of giving students full voting rights in the ACF? Well, you know, I I don't really see a disadvantage to it. So the advantages would be um, we have a, apathetic voting population. We don't get 100%. We don't even get 50%. It, it's on average 35% of people who are eligible to vote vote. And so to say 
the argument that, you know, you got to pay to play. Well, if that's the case, you wouldn't have a retired, by retired uh, professionals, they don't, they don't pay full price. You know, they, they, they pay you know, a, a minimum, you know, I think it's 50 bucks, 60 bucks. 50, 60 Then you're saying bucks. that they, yeah. So then you would say that they too then don't get a full vote. If, if, the, if the concept of what was said last term, uh, last year was you got to pay to play. If I pay two fifty, then I get a full vote. But you only paying eighty five, you shouldn't get a full vote. Okay, so then talk to your retired members. Um, I I think that because we have such an influ influx of of young members, um, you know, the majority of our new members are our young members. Um, that I think that it would definitely um input what we do for ACF. That's our future. That's our now. You know, ACF average age is like 58, you know, so what, what are we going to do? Just die and take it to the ground with us? I mean, we're 94 years old, and at this rate, we won't make it to 100, you know? So we have to do something, and you can't just keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, right? We all know what that is. And so if we don't take advantage and, and, and incorporate our youth, our students, into what the operations of ACF is all about and how it's going to benefit them, because we got to make it benefit them, then I, I think them them having the voice is key. Wouldn't it be that if we're trying to get the students, wouldn't it be possible or feasible to give them a full vote? Wouldn't that also give them the advantage of joining the membership at $85? Because I remember when I was a you know, student and I was, I'm going to sound like my father, but uh, I was going to school. <laughs> I was going to school Saturday and Sundays in culinary school and I was working three jobs during the week um, to, to get by. And I paid for my uh, $85 student registration at that point. I, if I would have known well, back then yeah. that I only got a quarter of a vote, then I don't, I don't think I would have gone. I wouldn't have joined. Yeah, and see, so when I joined, juniors, the students still had their own, their own meeting, their own meeting, their own organization kind of thing, right? So we, and we kind of liked it that way. At least I know I did in my, in my apprenticeship area. You know, because it was very intimidating to see all these other chefs, older chefs with these foreign accents, you know, talking to you. And most times they were not talking nicely to you. You know, so we didn't want to associate with that. We had our own meetings and, and the junior president was the one who, who was the liaison basically between the organization of the professional chefs and the junior chefs. And so, you know, who wanted to be president of the juniors? So like, that means you have to go deal with the, with the big boys. Like, and we didn't want that. And so... It's easier now. I think it's a lot more of an open door policy now because you really don't have a junior chapter and a, and a senior chapter or a professional chapter. And it's really mostly all the same. It's all encompassing. Um, so it, it, it bridging that gap between what's happening and the, the decisions that are being that are making now that affect them anyway. Why would they not have? Why would you not want to give them a voice and a vote? Well, part of the the situation last year in Vegas when this was brought up, one of the uh, questions mm-hmm. or one of the uh, arguments from that side was the teachers will have too much influence over the vote. Like, you know, you have to vote for J, uh, Joe X, Y, Z. What do you say mm-hmm. to them uh, on that front? Um, if that's the case, you'd have a bigger influx of student voting and, and people voting now. I think that's crazy. I think, I think you underestimate and you do a disservice to the mentality of the people who are students at this point in time, that the teacher has that much influence that they'll just vote because the teacher told them to vote. Um, like I said, we have teachers who don't even know about ACF or what ACF does. And I've talked to too many students, like I said, who are wearing those patches and have no clue. So if the teacher was more immersed and, and, and immersed in ACF activities, then they would know. And I would think they'd be able to just go to the website, 
and, and you know, part of their class, you know, go to a website and, and talk about and do a research paper on the board or do a research paper on this or whatever. And let's talk about it and let's discuss. Um, I, I would love to, you know, reach out to more people. I would love to have that conversation with the, with the teachers. I don't think the teachers that I know um, are, are geared and reared that way to be sitting there and talking about don't vote for her, vote for him. Don't vote for him, vote for her. I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's some people who, who might do that. People do that now. Our members do that now. Are you kidding me? They they support and endorse people all the time. So for them to say it's okay for one but not for the other is crazy. Do you believe there should be term limits for national positions, specifically the chairman of the board? Well, you know, yes, I believe there should be term limits. And yes, I put in a bylaw change for that. It should come up for a vote. Thank God. The chair, see, the chair, you can't really limit the chair because the chair really is the immediate past president. And so if the, if the person who's the president, you know, we had that issue where, where you know, the one the one resigned and stepped down, then the, the chair stayed the chair for a long time, um, as is now. So it's not so much that, you know, that, that is the only position that's not voted on is the immediate past president chair of the board, you know? So there's not a vote. So the term limit for that really depends upon who the president is. So that's where, but I do believe in term limits. Um, I, I wanted it at 10 and we just had this discussion uh, when the, when the, um, the committee uh, brought forth all the, all the bylaw um, changes coming forward. And, and then the board went back to, well, we should be 12 at least, you know, because, you know, you do four years, four years, four years. And then, you know, then, and then, you know, you want to sit there, you want to be vice president, then you want to be a secretary, then maybe you want to go and wait your turn. But see, that, that plays into that good old board mentality. You just, you know, slide around to the next chair around the table. You know, if you're going to be president, then you need to be strategic about it. If you want to run, then you run. You don't wait for your, your buddy to get through, and then you you got next. That, that that makes no sense. I think 10 years is good enough. But they, they came back, well, well that splits the term. Well, okay, so fine. It splits the term. But for you to sit on the board because you want to do four years as a secretary, four years as a VP, and then if, if you don't want to run against your buddy, then you can sit four more years. And then assuming that you win, <laughs> you know, assuming that you win, uh, I, I think it's crazy. I, I do believe in term limits. I do believe sitting on this board for 16 years, 20 years is too long. It's just, it's, it's, it needs to change. Totally needs to change. So yes. You, you know, some of the qu- questions we asked and some of the stuff that the challenger kind of answered, I want to kind of bring some of that stuff out too, because what I love uh-huh. about us doing this as the podcast, and this is kind of like my own, um, call it a little selfish but for me, as seeing the election the way it is, the only person that's not being challenged right now is the secretary, uh, Jeff mm-hmm. Bacon. Everyone else right. seems like to have that challenger. And as an AACF member for 27 years, this is the first time I've seen something so heated. So, And I'm not so, so heated, but I've never seen this many positions being challenged at one point in time. And, you know, and, what's, and what's different is that usually for the second term, that officer runs unopposed. Right. Correct. And this, right. this is, yeah, and this so, is everybody on this is, is actually being run, uh, is being opposed or challenged. Mm-hmm, so for me, mm-hmm. this is kind of bringing out a lot of stuff that is somebody who wants to listen to both sides of the coin. Um, so that's mm-hmm. where my selfishness comes through. My question is some of our, some of the things that were pointed out to us, I want to kind of, uh, air out things. Um, the challenger yeah. said something about us losing in a million dollar contract with the army. Um, can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah. So I, I don't know when we we started um, collaborating with the Army so much. So, I mean, we just had the 47th um, Corner Exposition with them at Fort Lee. So, you know, talking with people in the commands in charge up there and with ACF, it wasn't that we lost that much money like that. It was because the the Army has not like just one base. It's the Army all overall based everywhere. And so different commands dictate different things for each base. And so if the commander changes and they're not into culinary, they're into this, this, and that, then their focus and their and their their base will then change. So a lot of that happened. A lot of people also who got moved and transitioned to overseas didn't know, didn't realize, and our presence wasn't as great at the time either online, that they could take their membership with them and they can continue and do continue air courses online. So that communication wasn't there or wasn't as great as it should have been. But it wasn't because we just dropped the ball or ticked somebody off. Um, when you change commands, I mean, I went last year for the first time and met the brigadier general who's over that base. But there's somebody new there this year and met that admiral. But there's a new chief there, met that chief. But their focus is on culinary. And so if the person from, say, the Coast Guard isn't, um, isn't on culinary, their focus is on this and that, but they know they have to have somebody there to represent, then okay, fine. So if that commanding officer is not into culinary, that's the problem. And that's what the problem was. And so just getting everybody back on board and helping them to realize what ACF can do for them, where whether they're here or overseas and you know, or overseas, um, has been has been instrumental. So no, we did not lose, lose no twelve million dollars on that. That's that's not it. It wasn't because we didn't dot I's and cross T's. That's not it either. And then yeah. some of the other questions or some of the things that were brought up from the challenger was um this transparency within the national office and, and theft at the national level. You want to talk about that as well? Sure. I'd love to. So, you know, we, we get audited every year. We pay for one audit auditing company, accounting company to come in and look at our books. And then we have our internal audit of elected officials, appointed officials. And never did any one of those entities, auditors find anything about theft. Um, the only thing that they did find, was that there's equipment missing from Team USA from the last team that went. And so um, I would then suggest the question should be asked to that team manager, um, the associate assistant team manager, and the business manager who happens to be, oh, the person who said that there was staff at the office. That's the only thing that was found as far as anything missing. Nothing else has been missing from the ACF office. And you I said mean, how many audits were audits. done? Two audits were done. We, we do Is that normal? Every year. One, that's the norm, yeah. Okay. One, one we pay, and, and one we have our internal audit committee who does. Same thing. And the results are, are presented to the Board of, board of uh, Governors every year at convention. How did the ACF do a CMPC beta test that has no direct result and someone gain a certification in just three days of an eight-day exam? So this is very interesting. Um, the CMPC and the CMC testing has been an ongoing evaluation, reevaluation for years, and I do mean years. And so, yes, CMPCs had input on the test. They wrote up whatever they wrote up and submitted it to the commission. The commission came back and, and they, they did what they did. Um, AMCO had whatever they had to say about it, whatever. And then they ran the test. Well, there are some beta tests that are not because it's a beta or a practice run or to, you know, something that's not to be perfected yet, but they have to run the test to see. Um, 
is what they were doing. And and I, I get that. Um, I was part of a beta test for CCA. You know, we, we helped develop the test as, as chefs. And over the course of the year, and by, by the year's end, we were able to take the test for free. And if we passed it, then we got a CCA. If we didn't, we just didn't. And so it's the same concept. It's not anything new that ACF has done. Um, it's the, the way the commission has been set up and the way the commission has run. So if the person takes the test and they pass the test, would you say that the person then needs to retake the test when they figure out what's wrong, what's right with the test, become a CMPC, or would you give it to them because they did everything they needed to do and was actually Walk and Talk Podcast, now sweetened by Noble Citrus. Bite into a juicy crunch tangerine. 40 years perfected. Seedless and oh so tasty. Or savor a starburst pomelo. The giant citrus with a unique zing. Don't miss autumn honey tangerines. Big and easy to peel. Noble. Generations of citrus expertise. Delivering exceptional flavor year-round. Taste the difference with Noble Citrus. Do you was was it done in secret? Because that's some of the stuff that's been thrown around as well. Well, I, I'm not sure. That, I don't believe that it was advertised. Um, the board knew that there was there that there were changes coming up down the pike. We weren't aware of exactly how much was going to happen. Um, I, I became aware of a master pastry chef exam. Um, I want to say in December, and I and I determined I wanted to be there because as a pastry chef, I I wanted to see a pastry chef exam. I've never seen a master chef exam, never had the opportunity to go. Um, and so I wanted to see it. So that's why I was there. Um, you know, the history of the, the master pastry chef exam is, you know, it's got, it's got like a 95% fail rate. Um, the last time it was given was 2015 by the young man who just took it and passed it. And another uh, extremely well-known great pastry chef. And they were both failed. Um, before that, the last time somebody passed it was 2003. and so. 20 years and so the court, yeah and so like why so if they were so concerned about the cmpc why would they wait when you have a, a fail rate of that you know and arguably two of the best pastry people in america you failed them both so you weren't concerned about it then because there was no concern there's no love for the pastry chef I, I i'm not sure i understand it but if there's a problem with the test i've been an adjunct if i know 95 percent of my people are failing then it's either the test, the teaching, or both. You know, you need to fix it. And so the challenge was to fix it. And I believe from talking with the commission and seeing their reports that the, the idea of both the test was to make it more of a stair step. So if one day you spend on doing patashu, um, why do you need to do patashu again if you have massive patashu on the CPC level? Right. So if you've already been tested on patashu, why do we need to spend a day testing it again on the master level? If you've already iced the cake on, on the CEPC level, why do we have to spend a day icing cakes on this level? Why can't we not be tested on something different? And so that's what they were looking at, adding um, different things that, that a CEPC, CWPC had not been tested on and expanding upon other things. So as you notice that this year, the CEPC, one of the cases has disappeared 
you're only doing one cake, but now you're doing chocolates, bonbons, right? So that, that's a new thing right there too. But it leads into going into the stair steps. So now we take that and we up it and we put the chocolates in a piece or sugar piece in there, whatever, whatever, to go with those bonbons, truffles, whatever, whatever. And we pair it with wine, champagnes, whatever. So it's it's a stair step that they were going for, and that would be on both levels. Now I'm going to talk about master chefs. Mm-hmm. So on on the master chef and the CP, CMPCs, and you may mm-hmm. not have this information, so I'm going to ask the question anyways. How many CMCs yeah. are there currently? Yeah, I'm not sure about the exact number. It's somewhere in the 60s. Okay, and then how I many CP? Like 67 ish. All right. How uh, many CMPCs? I think it's four. And and one is not active. Well, two or three are active. So it's Balkamar who 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 is active. He's been in our ACF conventions the last two three years. Um, um, Joe Decker who's up there in as as a teacher. Um, Northmore who I was told is not really working anymore in the industry. And there's somebody else in the Northeast whose name is escaping me. Um, so I want to say there's four. Well, you know, three and a half. Because if one's not working or the or they're retired, you know, somebody would say, Oh, well, so-and-so is a master chef, but he's not working, he's retired. Well, okay. He's not doing anything. So do you count him? He's not like he's judging. He, he's not, you know, having this business anymore. So he's retired, he's out the business totally. So just like we have a lot of master master chefs around who are out the business totally. They're aged, they're retired, and they're done. How how long so, is the test three. for the CMCs? If my memory serves me correct, it's been changed quite some time, right? Quite a bit. It's it's changed to two four day sessions, which still means the chef who's taking that test is going to be away really seven days because you're not going to show up the day before. Right. You're going to show up at least two days before, and then you're probably going to be there a day after to recuperate. You know, and so but leading up to that, um, the the thought was that there would be some weekend courses on hand, you know, hands-on classes that the CMC would be taking and doing with some other master chefs to hone in on whatever skills that they think they need to hone in on. You know, so it's not like it's just two weeks. You know, you take take the test in, in January, then you take the, get the second part in, in July or whatever. You know, so the, the chef has been giving up two weeks of vacation time plus whatever the weekends are, at least two or three in between to get to that level, to be in the pipeline to get to the master chef master chef test and so they want the change was to get to that get that level down because a lot of people just can't take two weeks off or they, they can't dedicate that time or and or that money to it so how can we streamline that why do i have to fabricate the chicken again when i did that on, on this, this this the certified chef de cuisine level what you know so just stair steps do that on this level then we test you on this level well what's relevant are we still aspecting the show flooding things i mean I don't know. Is that relevant or should we be testing the master for that too? I mean, I used to show fraud back in my day, but who's doing that now? Right. So I think it's just a matter of what's relevant. What is, what is more, um, what is more user-friendly and why do, why do I want to be a master chef? You know, is that what mastery is all about? And also, you know, in looking at it, I've had many comments about, well, that wasn't gold medal work, but this is not about gold medal. It's about competencies. So if you're saying that the work was a, a low silver, high bronze, even that fits in the competencies of the score. It's 75% or better to pass. You know, so a low silver, it's still in the 80s. High bronze is still in the upper 70s. 75 is passing. You know, so you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be 
gold medal. It has to be competent, 75 or better. What does it mean for the ACF now that the, Ameri- uh, the American Master Chefs Order, AMCO, has displaced itself from the ACF certifications? And why is that? Well, well, they haven't. They said, but they're back at the table. And it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, I know our task force that we developed um, has put out a, a, the action for a call and waiting for them to agree to come to the call uh, sometime next week, actually. Um, there have been letters back and forth. We have somebody now who's a master chef, I guess, uh, Chef McGinnis, on the commission. It wasn't like he was a master chef was kicked off the commission. Their term expired in December. And so master chef decided they wanted to wait. And so it's, it's a lot of ego. Really, truly is on both sides. Um, and the boys are playing with the boys. And, you know, I want to take my, my toys and go to another sandbox. And I get that to a point. But at the end of the day, um, ACF does own the test. Um, AMCO has been used, used a lot, used to running things and dictating a lot. But it's not their test, and the liability falls on ACF. And so you have master chefs who are, who are dictating the test, but they're not taking off the testing requirements as an evaluator that we as evaluators have to take, the anti-harassment, the confidentiality. And so if there's anything that happens, and there's, a, there's a, an exam that goes awry, say somebody makes comments, does crazy stuff, and it has happened, um, ACF is liable, not AMCO. You know, so there are things that need to come to alignment that needs to be the same for everything. Um, AMCO would be back. I, I don't I don't believe that they want to walk away um, and, and, and not have their certification because that's what that would mean. If they walk away, they have to be ACF members and they have to keep their certification if they want to be master chefs. So it expires. They're not going to renew it after all that. I don't think so. How many members have you directly brought into and or sponsored on their application to the ACF? No, that is such a crazy question because I, I don't keep track of that. I, I, who knows that? Who knows the paper application? That's an online thing. I, I don't. I tell people where to go. I give them, you know, websites and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not sitting there with a pencil and paper. You, you, you don't out, have like a notch on your belt or on the, you know, somewhere. No, no it's in her no, toque. No. It's each notch in her toque. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. It's like Ains, only different. There you go. Chef, how long have you, how long have you been an ACF uh, member? So. That you I want to admit. That you want to well, admit. I, 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 I'm blessed for my age. I'm good. Okay. So I joined as a apprentice in 1981. There are that's 42. There there are basically about two years when I wasn't a member because there wasn't a chapter where I lived. So, um, so I would say 40 years. 40 years. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've seen some things. Trust. Hey, look, I <laughs> I've experienced look, some things. I said it earlier. I don't want any trouble. Wait, I got one more question though before we <laughs> go anywhere. So another uh-huh. thing that was stated by the challengers that we're in the red and that we sold our building, we're renting a building now. Can you elaborate on financials? Yeah. So we went from having an office space of 10,000 square feet in St. Augustine, Florida, to selling it uh, for a myriad of reasons. Most of them, most of them financial. Because at the time with that administration and the ones before that, we were about a million dollars in debt. Right, you had a million dollar line of credit that was that was sitting there looming, and so at the time our building was in need of some up, you know, preventive maintenance, maintenance, you know, air conditioning, roofing, paving, blah blah blah, and we're sitting already with a million dollars owed, and so 
the time was right. Um, real estate was right to sell the building and to secure something smaller. And so the look around came and it happened to be a smaller building, 4,000 square feet in Jacksonville, which is where we are now. We took it, we made the money from the sale of our building in St. Augustine, which we own that one too. Bought the building that we're in currently now in Jacksonville, bought it with the money and then put money into the bank after we paid off that million dollar loan. So no, we're not in the red. Uh, no, we did not rent the building that we own and bought all right with cash. And yes, we paid off that million dollar debt from previous administrations. Uh, and we still have zero debt on that line of credit. And then you also, so, t- we went from f- mm-hmm. four days, if I'm not mistaken, the convention to down to three, correct? And why did yeah, we do so, that? Yeah, so, you know, one of, those, one of those surveys, you know, listening to members that the convention is too long or it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. And so we just listened to members who say it was too long. So we, we decided to try it and see cutting it down a day, what that would do. And so we, we, we packed more things into those days. Um, so we're just trying to see how the streamline would work. Um, is, it, is it a good viable option? Um, members, some members have gotten used to having this, this, and that. But then, you know, do we take away the free day? Because there used to be a free day in there. People can go out and explore the city, do what they want to do. And so now, you know, if, if, you're, if you're going to the academy dinner, then that's your Tuesday night. If, um, if you're staying for the gala, hopefully you are. That's the Wednesday night. It, uh, our opening reception now is on Sunday after the border uh, border trustees meeting, border governors meeting, excuse me. And so Monday night then is a free night that you can go out to the city and explore, have a great time if you're not going to academy dinner on the Tuesday. But all, all than that, you know, we, we just jammed up the, the days full of um, speakers and, and demonstrations, you know, and networking. So we just listened to the members and uh, just cut it down a day and see what happens. Excellent. Um, sh- chef, that concludes the yes. uh, the Q and A. You can take a deep breath now. Yeah, you can breathe. Um, I mean, I, I've, I'm been, I've been dabbing my forehead this this whole time. Um, oh my I, god, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I mean, you know, there's been so much I can say to defend and, and, and deflate whatever. You know, like we, we you know, we, we don't have 34 employees, but we have 22. I'm gonna, you know, we, we've laid off. We've done things. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to uh, to tell why people should vote for you. Go. So you should vote for me because the direction that we are going in is positive. We are making money. We are making friends. We have sponsors, you know, and, and the inroads we're making with the diversity, inclusion and equity is tremendous. People are paying attention. We have got partnerships and collaborations that were not there before. And to keep that going is a vote for me. So I appreciate it. Thank you. And you have two board. You have two members, actually, in the national uh, office, too two members yeah you have jackie and you have dina those are two members for the acf all right as far as chefs. oh okay but you also so, got um don't forget li- michelle she's a chef as well yeah we listen we are uh we're coming up against the uh the hard uh, end here <laughs> so i want to thank you chef kimberly brock brown for being on the show jeffrey as always appreciate awesome. you john you're awesome thank you and we are out thank you Let me tell you about my friends over at Citrus America and their amazing juicing equipment. They're revolutionizing the way you enjoy freshly squeezed juice. They're at the best hotels, restaurants, and markets. Their mission is simple 
Develop a unique consumer experience with on-premise juicing. Deliver healthy taste options to clientele and juice more faster. It's that easy. Citrus America supplies the highest quality juicing equipment and solutions in the industry. So whether you're a small business owner or a large corporation, Citrus America has the right juicing equipment for you. Find out more at citrusamerica.com.